All right, Vegas, it's not quite 100 degrees, but it is getting toasty out there. I'm here with our newsletter editor, Scott Dickensheets, and award-winning food author, Kim Foster. And today on CityCast Las Vegas, we're heating up the Friday News Roundup with some hot takes on contentious topics like the Commercial Center's dead mouse debacle, a Pokemon-themed neighborhood, and whether or not Las Vegas is a punk rock city. It's Friday, May 26th. I'm David Figler, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Scott Dickensheets and Kim Foster, welcome to CityCast Las Vegas Friday News Roundup. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Well, I'm excited, as always, to talk about things that are happening in our city here in Las Vegas. One story that seems to not go away or maybe is just a gift that keeps on giving for a news cycle is the commercial center debacle. Kim, explain what's going on with uh, the historic commercial center. Okay, so recently there was an event at Commercial Center that has some businesses there up in arms because an event designed to bring people to the Commercial Center and celebrate the renaming of Karen Avenue to Liberace Avenue did not go as planned. Uh, There was a Dead Mouse concert that was meant to bring thousands to Commercial Center, but instead brought massive fencing that cut off access to buildings and businesses. And people say that they lost money. And then when people expressed criticism, county officials, Ross Miller and Tick Sigerblum called people entitled and miscreants. And there were uh, email exchanges about the uh, lack of gratitude based on the business owners and a fight ensued. And since then, we have been wrapped watching all of this unfold. Now, Kim, you and I live nearby there. And for people unfamiliar with where the commercial center is, it's basically an area down Sahara and Maryland, sort of old core Las Vegas, been there for quite a while. Uh, It's essentially a giant strip mall. It is all retail and restaurants, a big square with a kind of a rectangle of businesses in the middle. And it's had its ups and downs over the decades. Scott, have you ever patronized any of the uh, businesses in the commercial center over the years? Well, yeah. I mean, for for years, it you know it housed Lotus of Siam, so uh, and for a while Cornish Pasty. So obviously, I've been to those places. There's some art galleries and so on in there. Nancy Goods Core Contemporary Gallery for one, the ASAP Gallery for another. So Avant Pop Books. So yeah, I've been I've been there quite a bit. Well, I love the Korean market there. Uh, we have a really terrific little Korean market right in our neighborhood. So if you don't want to go all the way to Chinatown or 99 Ranch for specialized uh, Asian goods, uh, you can go there and it's super uh, community oriented. You know, Smith's won't give me greens for my chickens, but uh, the Korean market will, and they hug my kids when they come in and they have pretty much Korean snacks are the best snacks ever. So every kid loves to go to the Korean market to get snacks. So I really love it there and I'm there pretty much a few times a week, so. And my take is it's a funky compendium that's really unlike any other place in Las Vegas. One, because of the size of it. It's it's rather huge, but also just because of the disparate businesses that exist there. I mean, you've got 
fine dining, you've got casual dining, you've got sex clubs, you've got churches, you've got bookstores, you've got a sci-fi center, you've got one of the oldest jewelers in town, gay bars. I mean, it really is uh, a melting pot of of retail concepts uh, that exist, but it has always been challenged. The question here is, what's going on with the county and their involvement in this commercial center? They threw this giant, essentially, EDC party. Does that even make sense to anybody? I can see how it would make sense from their point of view. They'd started out with this, you know, I think the original idea was a, a smaller scale event celebrating the renaming of of Karen Street to Liberace Avenue or whatever it is. And then at some point, you know, they partnered with uh, the Electric Daisy Carnival people and got access to Dead Mouse, the renowned DJ. And I don't think there was enough time to plan that stuff adequately and mitigate some of the ill effects to some of the businesses. I talked to the folks at Avant Pop Books, for instance, and, you know, one of the, one of the big... Um, fire belching sculptures was right outside their door mm. and it was like spewing fumes into their into their space and oh that, charming <laughs> obviously not good for business yeah and the fencing kept people out that night they showed me there or they posted on online their receipts for that night and they, they made six sales but i think some of it just has to do with the the haste and late in the process that all this had to come together i think when we were listening to uh the state of nevada episode where they talked about this yesterday, I thought they were really clear about the county was looking for major investment in that space. And the businesses were looking to highlight their businesses. And so for me, it feels like everybody had like a different objective and that there wasn't like, uh, like everyone wasn't on the same page about what the event should be and what it should be doing for commercial center. And, and we should note that it utilized a lot of taxpayer dollars, at least a couple hundred thousand, maybe more. The final figures aren't out to throw that party. They said there were going to be 12,000 people there. Uh, there are varying accounts of how many people actually showed up. But focusing for a second on the, you know, the, the email correspondence, the controversy that now follows the discourse between the businesses and the county, we did hear Commissioner Sagerbloom on KMPR State in Nevada yesterday. He owned up to his statements uh, of calling uh, some of the business owners ungrateful miscreants and apologized. Kim, how would you rate the response of the county? Well, I think they took accountability for it. It seemed to be a bit of a, a like a come to Jesus on um, state of Nevada where everybody chopped it out. And the artists were saying, well, you know, we know people have bad days. And um, so it seems like everybody sort of came together on that point. Yeah. And. I think emotions got a little hot, but what it bodes for the future, hopefully, is a more thoughtful approach to future events. You know, there's been talk, at least according to some of the business owners, of planning another sort of block party later in the summer. And so I, I imagine that with a handful of lessons learned, perhaps that one will go off with more efficiency and, and goodwill. And I will say, though, that communication has been part of the problem and not just about details of fencing and and that it's also some of them expressed to me a concern about what this involvement of investors really means to their businesses. The involvement of these investors that, they, that the county has talked about uh, has some people worried because when you're a small business owner who's not taking a paycheck because you're putting everything you have into your store and it seems to you like it's you versus a billionaire 
you're going to be on the losing end of that when you don't know what investor means in this in the context of what the county's plan is. And I think that stuff has been communicated very well. And most of these business owners are tenants. They're not the owners. So they're kind of dependent on leases and in many ways, the graciousness of of the the owners of the property of which in Commercial Center, there seem to be many. Kim, what do you think about that? And we keep hearing the word revitalization. Kim, what does that even mean? So this is really a great question and one that I think about a lot when I think about Commercial Center. So first of all, Commercial Center isn't blighted. The definition of blighted for cities is that no one's paying attention and everyone's paying attention to Commercial Center. Commercial Center is getting interest from the media. We're talking about it on this podcast. It's ripe for investment and there's a plan. And so so we have that. But we also have people that were on the show we're talking about you can't have businesses next to the most dangerous place in Clark County, and it's the most dangerous place in Clark County. I know that from personal experience. Those were two quotes from a caller and also from, uh, I believe it was from Tick. And so I think that there is a big question here about what an arts hub is going to do for our more struggling and impoverished members of our community? And is there a plan, for instance, for housing? Because every time you do any kind of business center like Main Street, where you're really revitalizing an area, if you don't provide housing, then what you're doing is making the housing extremely expensive in that neighborhood and you're pushing families out. So there is a real danger here of significant gentrification in this neighborhood and what it would mean. Yeah. The conversation about Commercial Center in the wake of this thing has tended to focus on arts and cultural enterprises. But as Kim points out, there's, you know, Korean markets, there's all kinds of other things that are not creative class staples. And I'd hate to see all that stuff sort of nudged out by some single-minded focus on creating the you know, a new Nashville or a new Paris, Correct. you know, based on the needs of people who consume art, because it's not going to be for the artists. Gentrification is never about the artists. It's always about people who think it's cool to be in the proximity of artists or, or where artists Correct. used to be. And so I think the more you can preserve of Commercial Center's current ambiance and vibe and build up around it, supportive systems around it, that's the ideal save. Now, whether or not that's possible, I'm not an urban planner, but that would be my hope for this area. Yeah, and it would be a loss of Colombian food in the great bakery over there, Thai food, Mexican food, and there's a lot of diverse product over there. There's a lot of diverse product. And it's interesting to me that the people who have been talking about Commercial Center are mostly in the creative class. And we haven't really heard from the people who have been longtime members. You know, I haven't heard anything from, um, there's that great Mexican or El Abyssinidad, which is there, which is packed every uh, every weekend. I mean, I, it's amazing. And there's a lot of businesses that have been there a really, really long time. And we don't hear from those people. And so there does feel like, you know, that all of a sudden the artists have really taken over talking for Commercial Center. And that really to me, sort of triggers a discussion about what that means, that who are the spokespersons for this particular center and what is their agenda compared to other people's agenda and what success mean. I would footnote Kim's comment by saying, my guess is that the arts people are the ones that are sought out by people looking for comment. I don't know that the arts 
people are necessarily trying to force their way into the forefront of everything. I think it's easier for us in the media to call up an artist because we know all those people and we don't necessarily know who runs the Korean market. So I think in some ways it's, you know, they're being sort of accidentally surfaced as, you know, the, the sort of representative face of commercial center, but it needs to be a more diverse voice that speaks for that, for that place. And it's really important that media be better about that as well. And that we need to be seeking out the other voices instead of just focusing on the same ones. Well, for better, probably and worse, all eyes are on the commercial center. So we'll see how uh, redevelopment develops. Hey, it's David Figler, and one of my favorite food festivals is coming back to town. It's Vegas Unstripped over at the Palms Hotel on Saturday, May 18th. Over two dozen chefs from some of Las Vegas's most talked about restaurants creating original, unique menu items they've never made before. Chef creativity at its best. We're talking chefs from Partage, Esther's Kitchen, Milpa, Edo, and more, including this year's James Beard Award finalist Steve Kessler from Aroma. Tickets are $150 and are all-inclusive of food and drink, so you don't have to pay for anything once you're inside. No hidden up charges. I went last year, and it was so crowded in the best possible way. We got one remarkable dish after another, and while it was a little indulgent, here's the best part. The net proceeds go to local charities. So head on over to VegasUnstripped.com to get your tickets now. We'll see you there. So let's move on to another topic. Uh, If you're around town and you see a bunch of punky kids with lip rings, combat boots, and tiny denim vests, or maybe some old crusty old timers wearing the same thing, here's why. Scott, tell us who's coming to town. Well, everybody in the punk rock world, I guess. um, It's punk rock bowling weekend. Punk rock bowling! Uh, (laughs) I mean, speaking of ungrateful miscreants, we have (laughs) punks in town, and they're here to bowl and rock and roll. So... Uh, it's, uh, what, four days of all things punk, I guess. Uh, there's plenty of concerts and there's book signings and all, all this sort of thing. It's become a Vegas tradition. It started in, what, 1999, I believe, just as a an actual bowling tournament for punk rock insiders. And it's slowly gained momentum. And then there's, I think, 40 bands this year uh, headlined by Rancid and Dropkick Murphys. And these are not small names. Bad Religion. You know, there's multiple stages and there's club shows and there's pool parties. So it is a sort of um, a multi-channel Vegas experience, but based on based on the idea of punk rock, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And bowling. And there is bowling, I believe. How many people, Scott, uh, usually go to this uh, multi-day fest? <laughs> uh, well, about, you know, I don't know, 15,000 is the last figure I saw, but probably more than that now. 15,000 people? Oh, my God. Kim, why do you think a punk festival seems to work so well in Las Vegas? Oh, we're just that wacky, aren't we? It's not just a punk festival. It's punk and bowling. I mean, that's the most Vegas thing I've ever heard. That's amazing. I mean, that's that, does it, isn't that about the weirdness of Vegas? Isn't that who we are? We have weird stuff like that? 
Yeah, no, we do. And downtown seems to be a hub. I find it amusing that this weekend is, this coming weekend is punk rock bowling. Last weekend was Electric Daisy Carnival. And in as much as punk versus disco was kind of a main tranche of the, of the 70s, I think that's kind of an interesting thing about Vegas is it, it contains multitudes. Yeah. And, and in fact, I even saw the Punk Rock Museum put out some posts in the social media welcoming the EDC folks to come on down and check them out. And so that was kind of amusing to me that, you know, all, all wounds have been healed, apparently. How punk rock has changed. Mm. Well, it's been up open now for two months and we do have a Punk Rock Museum right here in Las Vegas. I've been there. I don't know if either of you two have, but what have you been hearing? Is it fitting into Las Vegas? Well, what did you think when you went there? I'd be interested in hearing what you what you thought when you went. Well, yeah, I'm going to say this. I, I give it high marks. They have an amazing assortment and collection of memorabilia associated with whatever your definition of punk is. It's preserved well. It's presented in a very clean fashion. There are some remarkable photographs that they've blown up and made full wall size in there, which really enhances the experience. There's some videos playing and things like that. I found it a little short on education, information, context. Why am I looking at this display for Max's Kansas City in New York? Was it influential? You could take the $100 tour with some old crusty punker who will share war stories and maybe have that context or not. Or you could do the $20 or $30 self-guided tour and bring whatever punk you bring into that space and probably be triggered in a good way. But um I don't know. You know, there's a small wedding chapel space, a small tattoo space, of course, the lovely divey triple down uh, bar. But what are you hearing in the community, Scott, about the reception for the punk rock museum? Well, first of all, I want to ask Kim, like, don't you hate it when your punk rock museum just is not educational? Um, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it, it's like an elevated Planet Hollywood or, or Hard Rock in some sense is that you see this cool stuff, but if you don't know what it is, how cool really is it? Or what experience have you really walked away with? I don't know, Kim, you, you seem more of a punk rocker. Uh, there was a sort of anti-establishment, anti-authoritarian DIY ethos. Uh, yeah, baby. Yeah, right? I mean... Now you got a commercial punk rock museum where you could go look at, you know, Iggy Pop's sock. Is that punk? I think it's this is really funny because the lead up to the to the punk rock museum, I heard a lot of people saying kind of gross things about that particular thing. Like, is it punk if you have a museum about it? And yeah, it's yeah. going to be, you know, so guilty. It's going to be I'm, like the yeah. Walt Disney. Right. Yeah. So I heard a lot of that stuff. And I think that just because punk people like critiquing things is sort of our our mainstay right it's what you do right you like screw this screw that this is what we're about and that's the kind of ethos right so i think that there has been much more receptive than i would have thought it would be i think there's been much more positive comments than i thought i thought it was just going to be like people going oh it's for the tourists it's not us it's not real punk but people have been embracing of it i think so yeah and i think surprise I think part of that is that it really is big umbrella punk. So you get the pop punk and you get the old London scene and some New York and a lot of California, especially Southern California. Generally speaking, the posts that I've been seeing from random strangers and visitors is that was cool. I saw some really cool stuff and I have to agree. It's filled with lots of cool stuff. 
Yeah, I was really surprised they beat the criticism. I thought that was really cool because it would be easy to say, well, my favorite band isn't in there. This isn't in there. That's not relevant. I mean, it'd be easy to critique that. And I think it's been the reception's been great overall. I don't know. From my position outside punk rock and from my habitual position of overthinking things, a punk rock museum seems like, I don't know, the tombstone on punk rock to me. Oof. Um, <laughs> it's true, I mean, I, mean it, it, I think it finally ultimately shows that you can't exist outside the market. I mean, you can be, you know, you can be as punk rock and anti-establishment as you want, but in the end, capitalism is going to get you. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Oh, so I mean, th- that was probably sure. the olive branch to the EDC with their big money coming into town. They're also doing something kind of special, which is they're finding some old punkers to lead these tours. And upcoming, we got uh, CJ Ramon. Uh, I'm going to say a lesser Ramon of the Ramones, uh, but also uh, of the Me First and the Gimme Gimmies. He's going to be leading a handful of special tours at the museum during Punk Rock Bowling Weekend. My friend Ronnie Barnett, who is the bass player for the Muffs, if you remember the Muffs, is going to be doing it too. So it's kind of fun. Uh, I would love to see, and and snide opinion aside, Scott Dickensheath, I would like to see more education, more context. You know, punk rock was a very influential cultural movement in addition to being a musical movement. And, you know, it would be- And now it's a museum. And now it's a museum, but, you know, from museums come (laughs) knowledge. Dickensheath slays. I hope you caught the implied dismissal in my in my comment. Oh, we fa- oh that was not even implied. <laughs> <laughs> dismissal. All right. Was well, there. punk rock Bolin's coming to town. Some cool punkers are probably going to be floating around uh, the punk rock museum because it is that kind of draw. And you know, if you go and showed up, uh, you might be able to catch them and then catch a drink that comes in a Pringles potato chip can over at the Triple Down Bar. All right, guys, one last one, and this one's a little bit more fun. There is a new development in Henderson that has named all of its streets, wait for it, after Pokemon characters. Yeah, apparently there is a challenge in getting the various jurisdictions to approve the names of streets. You can't have street names that are already named. Uh, You don't want that kind of confusion. You have to make sure they're appropriate or whatever. And for whatever reason, um, the developer here, which is Harmony Homes, uh, decided, well, no one's done Pokemon. So, yeah, let's have uh, Jigglypuff Lane. What do you think about Pokemon as an inspiration for uh, development and all the street names? I think it's a smart move because, I mean... The people who are in their late 20s, early 30s, whatever, that strikes a nostalgic chord with them because they're old enough for Pokemon to have been a feature of their childhood. My youngest son is was doing Pokemon Go for a while, and he's in the, he's in the house-buying sort of era or age. So I think it's probably a canny move on their part, and also, and also whimsical and fun. You've got a bunch of kids, Kim. Um, yeah. What, what, what's your take on the Pokey situation? So it's actually something that I would get my 11-year-old son and put him in the car and take him just so we could read the road signs. Like, I actually could see myself doing that. 
I have teenagers as well. And my teenagers, you know, have friends all over the valley and I drive them places. And one of the things we do is pay attention to what these communities have named their streets and we often make fun of them and they tend to be very much the same you know it's desert willow and you know there's all kinds of like deserty sort of themed names and so i'm all about the pokemon playa del sol right yes it's yes exactly it's that it's that kind of stuff it just feels it's they're really trying to like enrich the neighborhood with like you know desert babbling brook you know it's that kind of thing whatever so i love that somebody actually decided to do something pretty absurd and weird and we may have to just go to that neighborhood and check it out ourselves see now i'm gonna admit that i i got caught up a little bit in the pokemon go craze so immediately a bunch of jokes came to my mind like uh there's a charmander street there's a charizard street i'm hoping charmander turns into charizard which is a pokemon joke because of they evolve into different characters. I'm wondering if the stop signs spin. I'm wondering if the neighborhood gym is going to be something completely unexpected. I've got all the jokes. The CCNRs <laughs> banning shadow pokies unless they get purified. Oh, I've got it all. I've got it all. Okay, that that's said, so nerdy. Oh, I that's know. Nerdy. It's all it's it's old man doing Pokemon jokes, which is both nerdy and creepy at the same time. How can you be punk and into Pokemon at the same time? Oh, that's me. That's Vegas. Guys, if I'm going to do this is rapid fire. If you had free reign to name the streets in a new development in Las Vegas, what are you naming them after? Well, I would probably pull out random phrases from the poem Jabberwocky. So, it had, <laughs> you know, Frumious Bandersnatch Parkway yeah. and, you know, Momrath's Drive and so on. Uh, or I might name them after philosophers, except that's already been done. There's a neighborhood near my house that has you know, uh, Voltaire Avenue and Descartes Avenue. So there are pockets around the valley where developers have named, given thematic names just like this. So it's not, you know, Pokemon stuff is not as unusual as you might think. Yeah, you're going to be the scourge of postal workers everywhere with that Jabberwocky. <laughs> Kim, rapid fire, who are you naming them after? Uh, let's do food. Uh, oh. I just, I found a bunch of like weird ones, weird food ones, which is like, Frying Pan Road and Chicken Dinner Road and Bucket of Blood Street. These are actually real ones. So, uh, you know, I'm, I think we should just, we should be like a new trend and we should just be doing really crazy stuff for our street names. Come on. It's great. Those are real ones in Las Vegas right now? No, they're not in Vegas, but they're, they're real ones in the United States. So, oh, so you want to bring those to Las Vegas? I want to bring those to Las Vegas. I want weird food names for one community. If we can have a punk rock museum, surely we can have some weird food names on our street signs. Right? All right, I'm going to throw mine in right now. I want an entire neighborhood devoted to fictional Vegas characters. I want Dantana Drive. I want Binzer Boulevard. I want it all. And uh, Nomi from Showgirls. Got to get in her in there, too. Oh, well done. Well <laughs> Thank done. you. Yes, that's a good one. Nomi yes. Way. Hat tip to you, David. Nomi Way. Nomi Way. Uh Hey, guys, this has been a lot of fun. Scott Dickensheets, Kim Foster, thanks so much for joining us on CityCast Las Vegas Friday News Roundup. Love you guys. Thanks, David.
And that's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Our lead producer is Sonia Cho Swanson. Our producer is Layla Mohammed. Our newsletter editor is Scott Dickensheets. And our hosts are Vogue Robinson and me, David Figler. Music is by OG Moose, Epidemic Sound, and All the Kimonos. We record the show on the traditional homelands of the Nuuvi, the Southern Paiute people. If you enjoyed the show, and I bet you did, why not tell a friend? Rate the show. We love seeing those ratings. Leave us a review. We love reading those reviews. And subscribe to our indispensable morning newsletter. We'll be back Tuesday morning with more news from around the city. Y'all take care. Oh, um, well, I think that there's a lot of uh, us Gen Z hipster types who believe that, you know, we all have our CBGB stories from New York. And I think that we are, um, you know, we're like rum, sodomy in the lap down here in <laughs> in downtown. Like, you know, our, we're, we're an Irish punk band. We're like just going crazy and being weird and having our own sort of like arty experience. That's what I think. Were, were the Pogues during Shane's dark years? <laughs> <laughs> we're, 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 we're a couple of teeth short of a, a, a full set of uh, smile. There is some of that. I'm not going to say there's not some of that because there is, you know. <laughs>